Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. We're going. We're going. This train is leaving the station. My guest today is a business leader, software entrepreneur. He has been a marketing exec, a sales exec, a consultant to the stars, currently the CEO at Nine Lenses, Tom Hessen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. Yeah, man. This is cool. This is cool. I'm, I'm actually excited about this. We connected um, earlier. Uh, your team put out a, a blog post saying that my book was the number one B2B marketing book in the, on the planet. And it was such an honor. And then we connected afterward and found out you actually are big into assessments. And I am big into assessments. I love finding out where I'm at, where I need to go. And we started chatting about how there's actually a great marketing tie into that. So I'm excited to talk marketing with you, to talk assessments, to talk about our customers and get to know them better. So without further ado, let me hand you something. It's kind of heavy, but I'm pretty sure you got this. Ugh. Okay, here uh. we go. Thor's hammer. Grab it. You got it? Got okay. it. There you go. Backhanded. Nice. Nice. It's always, it's always interesting to see how people take Thor's hammer. You just like, give me that thing. Give me that thing. Let me, let me smash something. That's probably that sales background you have. That's right. It's like, get me at it. So take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. All right. So my big myth is that marketers think they know things about their prospects. They absolutely don't know anything about their prospects. And what I mean by what they know is that they think they can measure intent, right, through a score, right? How many pages they viewed, how much time they've spent. They're spending all this time tracking every little thing a prospect does and, tr you know, and then trying to say, I know something about them, right? And right. what I'm saying, the myth is that's, that is, that's, that's not true. It's bogus. They really know almost nothing about their prospects, their business, their business pain, and how they can help them. Yeah, you mentioned the business pain. Um, so let's talk about, it's like what we do, do know. People, we're relying on, I mean, you see this a lot in the marketing automation community. You got your lead score. Some of our competitors in the Marketo world have flames and stars and all these cute little things that are supposed to tell sales something about who to prioritize. But right. what are they driven off? They're driven off of just web views, you know, and, and clicks. And, and sometimes the problem we see is you get people where their score is a million and it's a student just doing research. They like, they've been consuming your material. Right. And, and, you know, marketing puts their neck out there for sales saying, you got to call this. It's a hot lead. And what happens? They're like, uh, yeah, this is a terrible lead. And you think it's hot. Right. We're disconnected. Right. There's a huge disconnect between intent of buying and activity that is measured by marketing. And it's no fault to the marketers. It's just, you can't really understand people's intent just by web clicks, time spent on pages. Uh, you can get something, but in terms of their real viability as a buyer, you cannot get that. And mm -hmm. so that's where there's a major disconnect between the marketing and sales function. And it's, it's again, no fault of marketers, but it, it, it exists today. And that's why it's a myth that we need to smash today. That's cool. And you're being generous to marketers. Uh, I'll, I'll take the hard, hard line approach. It is our fault. If we, if we send these leads over and, all, and we, don't, we think we're mistaken, right? We're mistaken that they have intent or they're a good lead. And we just, that's, that's how we damage our reputation. And so we need to, so, okay. So how, how do we get that? I mean, I, I know there's like intent data partners and um, yeah, there's a lot of programs. Right. So that's there. the next, that's the next level. I mean, I think the first part is, is just, you know, marketers are incentivized based on quantity of leads. And mm. that's a, that's a problem in and of itself because marketers are trying to demonstrate to the organization, see all the value that I'm providing. And unfortunately that's really been whittled down to just quantity of leads. And so right. that's a disincentive to give sales things that aren't really ready to talk to sales. Right. And that's why, again, damaging your reputation, sales will then eventually give up on all the leads marketing gives because they can't get them to even get on the phone. 
right? They're not you experienced really- that when you were running, I know you ran sales and marketing at one point. Did you, did you see that? How, how, you I mean, I still that? see that today. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, just because somebody downloads an ebook doesn't mean they want to talk to anybody, right? We have no right. idea why they downloaded the content or consume the content. And, and so we assume as marketers that they're ready to talk to somebody and, and more often than not, they're not. And it's because we don't really understand their business or what drove them to come to consume our content. And we're going to, you know, so, so yeah. I can explain how we, how we do that. Right. I mean, how yeah. do you, how do you bridge that gap? Yeah. And you know, and I've heard, you know, use apps, but I guess still getting more digital signals is still digital signals. Is it, is this where assessments come in? Are, are there? That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things that we see in the marketplace is that there is a greater need for personalization, okay. right? Which is really hard for marketers in the B2B world to do, right? But we see personalization from our name being written on our Starbucks mug, our coffee that we get every day to experiences online that we're shopping on Facebook, the ads that are served to us. So we're expecting personalization, but it's near impossible for B2B marketers to provide a real meaningful personalized experience because they, again, they know nothing about us. So what can they really serve us uh, that's personalized? And, th- you know, fundamentally they can't. And so assessments is, is really the new way that marketers can offer a personalized experience to any one of their prospects. Now, not everyone, you know, let's talk about what is an, what is an assessment, right? So yeah. one is you, you come to your website, you know, or, you know, a marketer has their website, they've got blog posts, they've got videos, they have all sorts of great content. Um, and the number one question that a prospect is oftentimes, at least one that's thinking about buying is, can you help me solve my problems? Can yeah. you help me solve my challenges? And there's no way for a marketer to know how well they answer that question for each person that come and visits their, their, their site or consumes their content. Right. And so you're leaving the prospect to answer that question for themselves, which is mm. really dangerous. Yeah. Really, really dangerous because they're not educated enough typically on your solution, your category, whether it's CRM or marketing automation or supply chain software or, you know, data migration services. They're just not that sophisticated of a buyer to really answer that question properly. And so it's a really dangerous thing to think that they come consume your content and then say, oh, this isn't what I'm looking for because they have this much understanding of the problem. So you try to educate, but you really have no idea as a marketer how well that education occurs, how well they understand it, and then apply it to their business problem. Yeah. And you could have, you could have, I mean, they're probably looking for, you mentioned like migration, like, okay, do you have the, the source, you know, wherever I'm coming off of, I'm leaving Marketo, I'm moving on to Pardot. Do you have information on both of those things? Do you have a, a case study on the, you know, that connection, like it, but there's, there's a thousand different apps out there. So if you've got, maybe you've got that kit, you actually have that case study, you have that content, but it's buried somewhere because you, you're trying to address everyone's pain, then they may not find it. Right. So it's like, they may not find it even if you have it or if you don't have it. So I, I totally get your point. You're leaving it up to them to answer that question. I mean, there's a lot of talk about buyers being in more control. The challenge with that is they, they're probably not in, equipped and we i've heard this Correct. before where or trained on how to actually seek out the right solution right are they asking the right questions yeah right, to, to getting the right answers and, and you know there's a great book that i read uh, that talks about the, the the like the knowledge gap like most people only know 20 percent of the overall solution right? right so they commoditize everything down to their basic level of understanding so if you have a very differentiated product they don't understand it. They can't appreciate the nuances and the differentiation. And they just say, oh, you're just like everybody else that, you know, does this, this category of thing. Right. And, and so where we are helping marketers, this is where these assessments come in, is to say, you know what, you're coming to our site, you're consuming our content. Oh, you, you're looking for migration. Understand your, you know, there could be like a migration assessment, right? Yeah. Or your marketing automation capability assessment, where yeah. that prospect will then say, well, I do want to know how well I'm doing, right? I want to know how you think about my business. Let me answer 10, 15, 20 questions mm-hmm. and get a personalized scorecard with 
recommendations and insights. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden it changes the dynamic of what that prospect understands of their own business and they get to experience your expertise yeah. and insight into that business instantly. So it's a incredible way to add value to the prospect where they are, educate them and um, really tailor your offerings and, and recommendations to them. Okay. It adds value. I think that's the key part. It, they're coming to your site. The whole point is just to keep adding value. What about, and now I, I'm kind of asking you know, from your standpoint, because I'm actually a huge fan of the, the concept of assessments. The, the, what's the value add? What, what, what have you found that the value add is? So there's values on both sides. So there's this big value exchange between the prospect and then let's call it the, the sales organization. But to sure. the prospect, right, they get something. So I'll give you an example. Uh, yeah. with you, you know, a lot of companies write ebooks, white papers, thought leadership, right? It could be a five-page, 10-page, 50-page PDF document, yeah. okay? And so around some great, you know, AI or cybersecurity, any like hot topic, right? And, yeah. and you're trying to position yourself as a thought leader. Now, somebody will come in and download that. But if they read it, you're now putting the onus on them to figure out what that means to their business, what applies, what doesn't apply. Um, it's very difficult, right? And so where an assessment is adding value, instead of reading that 50 page document and trying to figure out what is most valuable to you, just answer these 20 questions and we'll tell you exactly what you need to be concerned about, where you're doing well, where you're not doing yeah. well, what you should do to get better. So all of a sudden it just breaks that 50 page document down into what's most relevant to me and my business and my situation. And yeah. no PDF document can do that. You know, it reminds me kind of a, of a different sales approach, the whole challenger sale. Oh yeah. Very familiar with that. Yeah. I'm actually going to be talking to, um, to, uh, Brent actually coming up uh, pretty soon. Uh, but one of the things is that like, you know, it, it flips the script. A lot of it is we're always doing discovery, discovery, discovery. It's on a sales call. A lot of sales is discovery. Sometimes marketing is too, if you build into the forms, but in, the, in like you can discover people to death. I've been on calls and unfortunately like you're like the person that comes in afterward and they didn't like the person they worked with before and they're all tired and frazzled and they've been discovered they're like discover fatigue. They've already answered a million questions, but all those people did was ask questions. They never turned it around to say, well, based on your answer, here's where you're at. So I think that's the difference is like, you can always be asking questions, but on an assessment, especially if it's the kind of interactive thing that we're talking about here, where you're able to say, okay, because you answered this, here's what I recommend. Here's, here's where I think you should go. Here's something you should check out. Maybe here's some more resources. Like, that just takes it to a whole nother level. And now it's much more engaging than to your point, a, an ebook that maybe they download, maybe they don't. Down I think a lot of people download content. Um, I was talking to some, um, some folks earlier where they're saying that, uh, no, who, who was it? I think it was, it was Chris actually in Boston. He was saying that um, he did this thing where he had a thousand people download, you know, did an ad, clicked on an ad to download a white paper from, from a, a site, from landing page off of Facebook. And, you know, a certain number of them did something like only 10% of the people who actually completed the form came back and actually got the content. Mm. Like, and it's like, what's the point? Is the point to capture their name or is the point to actually teach them something? Right. And, it, and this sounds like it, it, it's along more of the lines of teaching them something teaching. where it's like, we want to get you this information. And then teaching like that builds trust and value, but also trust with people. Well, and that's part of the magic. And, and I'm going to come back to that discovery part, but that's yeah. exactly right. So the challenger is teach, tailor, and take control, right? So you have to teach something to mm. the prospect, which again is through content, but you don't really necessarily know what to teach them and nor can you tailor it, right? Only today can you know, like sales reps are the, really where the tailoring comes in, right? Marketing can sometimes put you in different, um, nurture tracks potentially based on different activities. Right. Um, but that's really not that tailored because again, you don't know anything about their business. And the whole reason why discovery exists, we're actually writing a blog post today nice. or you know, this is uh, for next week talking about discovery calls as we know them need to die. Yes. Because there, there was your myth. We start to show off with that. Well, well that's a sales, sales issue. Yeah, like that's right. That's a sales yeah. show. But, <laughs> but it starts with marketing because marketing doesn't know 
about the prospect's real business needs, right? Because again, they downloaded some content, they got right. a score, they threw them over to sales. Sales is lucky enough to get them on the phone, or even if someone requested a demo, right? A hot lead, they know nothing. And so yeah. what does sales have to do? You have to ask them a hundred questions to quote unquote, find the pain, mm. right? Because you don't know where the pain is. Yeah. And so the whole big challenge with sales is that some reps are better than others in navigating that complex conversation. Because I could still have my questions scripted, but based on your industry, the person's role, you know, how experienced I am in the content or the domain that I'm selling, I can navigate that conjurage. Yeah a hundred different ways. So essentially every salesperson is doing a, an assessment, but they're wildly different, typically very ineffective mm-hmm. with very differing r- results. Right. Yeah. That's, and, and, and so that's, the, that's the nature of the discovery. Would you call it um, teach Taylor and something else? Take control. That's the uh, third part of the uh, challenger. Have you read the, uh, the challenger customer too? I have not read that one. I heard that, that that's more marketing focused. I got to reread those before I talk to him. <laughs> um, teach Taylor, take control. Yeah. You know, it, you know, I guess the dot, dot, dot from an assessment is now you have the data because they've told you all about like it's Their a business. massive discovery and that can happen even before the sales rep even talks to them. Right well, now, you know, I... 10 things, 20 things, however many questions about them, you know where they're at. And so, Marketing can be way more tailored now. And then right. the sales call isn't like, how's it going today? It's like, so I hear you got a problem with connecting to Salesforce. Okay, let's talk, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's exactly right. So marketing, again, this is the trick. Like, wh- how do you get someone to provide, you know, spend seven, eight minutes answering 15 to 20 questions about their business, right, to an organization that they don't know? Right. right. So one, they have to have some level of trust and that's usually based on your content and your, your, your brand and some other yeah. things. And they want to know, how do you think I'm doing? Right. Yes. And so the, the magic is that you have to give them something incredibly valuable in a very short order of time. So this is instant scorecard with, you know, numbers, analysis, comparisons to benchmarks, whatever that may be specific recommendations. They want that, right. They don't want to talk to a sales rep. They just want that instantly. So we have to give yeah. them that carrot. That's why they do it. But then you're right, that automatically goes to sales. And now sales can say, you know, oh, I see, Casey, that you are doing well in this area. You got two recommendations there. You're not doing too well in these areas. I've got two or three more recommendations for you there. Uh, can I schedule some time to share those recommendations with you? That is a completely different sales outreach than mm-hmm. I saw you downloaded our ebook. Um, and clicked around on five different pages, right? You can't say that. And can we get some time, right? There's no value perceived from, you know, the prospect in terms of what the sales rep can offer them. Whereas coming back with a tailored response based on their business pain, they're going to take that meeting with the sales rep because there's Mm. now more value that the rep can provide knowing where their biggest gaps are, their biggest problems, and, and maybe to connect some dots that, no, you know, the assessment can't connect every dot, but the sales rep seeing all of that should be able to add more value. I get that. Now, this, maybe this is like devil's advocate situation. Uh, maybe it's a myth we smash, but are they going to take the time to do that? And then how many questions is too much? Yes. So not everyone's going to, right? Okay. An assessment is not geared towards everyone. If you're a college kid or you're a, you know, someone you heard someone talk about, you know, data migration in a meeting and you go off and search some stuff and you're doing more research, you know, you get those people downloading content all the time. They're not real leads, right? And those Mm -hmm. are the ones we're oftentimes mistaking as leads. But if you don't have a business that you're running, you're not going to take an assessment because you have Mm -hmm. nothing to assess. So just by its nature, it's gearing themselves, you're self-selecting people that are running a business or own a function or more senior people because they actually want to know how well they're doing. Yeah. And so I've been working with a neuroscientist and, and she's done a lot of uh, research. And so she says, you know, executives are always scored. They were always, you know, being measured on our performance. So there's actually safety in knowing the score, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's just, I know what the score is. And now there's, you know, power in having that information. 
And so not everyone's going to take an assessment except for those that are really trying to solve a problem, which makes this type of lead a senior person that oversees some area and they have a real need and they're trying to figure out, you know, tell me more about my business and I want to, I want to learn. And that's what makes them such a great prospect. Yeah. It's a different type of buying. It makes sense. Right. Because if you, if you don't have an example to take, like the whole point of the thing is to figure out where you're at. So you could, and I could see like a fraction of a percent, like just clicking through, but it's boring because you, you, you could try to make up a scenario, I guess, or they just want to know what your right. questions are, but that would be the normal people you get rid of anyways. But for the most part, you're going to get people who, um, whether they're senior or not, they, they have a relevant situation to the assessment on hand. They, they have, Correct. they can answer the questions, you know, and I, I'm sure it matters how you call what you call it and the title of it and all that. But yeah, I could see it helping self-select, um, whereas everyone might get the ebook. Not everyone's going to do the interactive assessment. Hmm. Exactly right. So it just it, it narrows it down right from the get-go. Uh, and to your earlier point, they're going to do it if there's trust, if the brand looks good. I guess the contrast would be having a form on your site saying, "Tell us about you, friend," and you know, and you just ask all these really pointed questions, and you're like, "Ah, we just met. I don't really." want to tell you all this data right that's now. right and, and it's it's important to understand where an assessment fits in the marketing funnel yeah. because there are um, it's, this is really a mid to low part of the marketing funnel even the top of the sales funnel so this is not trying to just get somebody in the door or, or to engage right this is this is to get someone to buy and so it's a, it's a very important distinction. I'm glad you asked that because you're right. You just can't bring someone in or run an ad uh, on, a, on a site and say, you know, on a Facebook or LinkedIn to say, take my 20 question assessment, right? That's usually not going to work because, you know, people are moving through the buying cycle at very different speeds. You know, some are going 80 miles an hour and they're just going to, you know, take an assessment right from the get-go or pick up the phone to call you or, you know, their hair's on fire, yeah. right? They, they need to know, or they, they need to get in touch with you immediately. Then there's these other people that are moving 20 miles an hour. And so they're going to, you know, consume a little bit of content here and a little bit of there. And, you know, eventually an assessment's going to be the right call to action, but you can't just give this high level ask to everybody you meet. Yeah. That, yeah that's a, that's an interesting distinction to make because I think I've mentally thought of trying to do that. I, I don't think I have, but like the assessment we have at Treasure Impact, I've, I've thought about, oh, let's get everyone to take it. But you're right. It's not, it's not the time in the funnel. Like get them in with some other things, maybe some data based on those, those assessments or something like that, but not them yeah. doing it right up front. But I, mean, I can see midway through or even later on, right before you want them to actually talk to someone. Yes. And so it's really hard to know. So like oftentimes one of our recommendations is to have like a landing page where you're driving a ton of traffic to. And on that landing page, it could be, you know, a variety of different types of content. It could be a video. It could be a white paper that you download and an assessment. And the goal would be to drive everyone to the assessment in the end. But some people may come right in and download uh, the white paper or some people may come right in and take the assessment. Some people may read, b- build trust, you know, just by reading your content and then say, oh, now let me take the assessment. It's hard for you to know who's moving at which speed. So these landing pages with a yeah. variety of f- forms of content or always have a call to action to say, take our, you know, our marketing assessment, just always you know, on all your pages as a, as a clear call to action. Yeah. Um, so when they do feel that trust, now they're, now they're ready to kind of go to that next level. I like it. I like it. So uh, let me bounce off. Uh, let me bounce my assessment off you. I'd love to get your, your thoughts on it. Um, and I have some challenges in terms of going digital with it. So but I'm going to give you a kind of a background on it and just um, sort of like get your, sure. get your, your wisdom on it, if that works for you. Sure. Um, so, so in the book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, um, it has assessment at the very front of it because one of the things I realized about marketing automation is that um, vendors, partners, everybody is always saying like, use this feature, use that feature, use this feature. And so it's a distraction. You really need to do one, first things first, this, then this, then this, then this, then this. So I created an ordered list of 10 strategies and features of marketing automation that you need to use in order. 
And, and tied to that is an assessment where um, we typically, we, now we call it the CSI, the Cheshire in, uh, Success Index. And the idea is we get on a call and we go over these 10 questions with you and then you have a score between zero and 10 about how well you're using marketing automation. Um, and, and it's worked great. We've probably done a couple hundred of these things. Wow. We've always done it on a call um, or in person. And we've tried a couple times to get it online. But I guess I've always been challenged. And this could just be, I just need to understand more about this. But sometimes the challenge is that there's 10 questions, but it's kind of a trick because there's actually a couple follow-up questions to each one. So it's like, um, for example, something might be, um, are you using gated content? You know, are, you, are you doing landing pages with content behind them using Pardot or using any marketing automation, right? And then if people are like, oh, we're kind of doing that, our goal would be to, to mention several other really cool things like are you using progressive profiling? Like, oh, we're not. Most people aren't on, on marketing automation yet. And it's a great thing to add. And so we kind of throw that in there. We, it's almost like there's these secondary questions that um, – our goal is to get people to understand that maybe there's more they can do with that particular step and not mark themselves as like complete. Right. And right. so is it to, to make that go digital? And also, I just also like the idea of they're on a phone call with us where we're teaching them something about this topic and we're showing them something. Can, can we still do that if we put the, the thing on the digital side and we didn't have an app like yours, um, earlier either so we just we put it on there but it just ah it just wasn't the magic of when one of our people like even our sales team is like certified in part out so when they get on they're just like they're teaching to your earlier point yeah it was like magic so what would you recommend how do i take the magic of that 25 minute call and and she, do i do i dare and put it on an app and uh, yeah well so what we you know again we eat our own dog food or what yeah. our clients say drink around champagne yeah um kool-aid we always give the assessment before the call. So even if someone requests a demo, right? So they may not even take our assessment on our own website. They may just come in and say, request a demo, uh, or we get an introduction from someone. And, and typically as a sales side, you would just take the meeting. You get on there and you just do your traditional discovery, right? Ask a hundred questions. So one of our lessons learned is that no matter if you know them for 20 years or they're someone you've never met before, you ask them to take the assessment before the call. And because it's going to educate them and educate you, and you're going to start that first conversation so much further down that path. And you want to shape their mind of the problem, right? Again, you're doing that you know, together on the call. So you're getting the questions, yeah. um, you're educating them. Um, you know, I would say just have them answer the questions, get their personalized scorecard with your own recommendations. And now your sales team can log in, see the results and now know where to start the conversation. Uh, and so you're able to kind of progress further faster. And I find that more valuable to mm. the customer where you already know where their problems are to a degree on that call, then you're just doing a more organized discovery right so if you can do it earlier why why wait for the phone call to do it maybe that phone call now can step to part two instead of yeah putting that first phone call maybe and maybe only the first phone call is just that assessment now instead of talking about that you could talk about the next step which is how about we fix some of these yeah are the, these are your biggest problems that i see based on what you shared and you're just diving right into that not doing mm -hmm. a a or, tell me know, more or, about this. Tell me more about that as opposed to spending time on the things that maybe they are all set with. Yeah. And I, one of the things we see is that a lot of sales reps struggle to have business conversations, right? They're talking mm. about features. They're talking about, um, it's true. You know, things that aren't really related to the business. And so if you can take that assessment and focus on the business conversation, not just I need to ask my 50 questions trying to figure out, you know, where the pain is. So you're already directionally focused on their business. And now I you can that. have a more meaningful discussion. And that's where we see deals, you know, opportunities are sourced better or more consistently because you're you're able to kind of zero right in on the pain from that first call and if you can have a more meaningful tailored discussion on the first interaction you're able to progress that opportunity faster because you're you both are coming to the table more educated right about one another right okay i i see that right 
uh, doesn't necessarily have to happen that way. And, and to your point, we do spend a whole heck of a lot of training and the sales team has to be pretty magical to be able to talk to these elements. Whereas um, if we already discovered them, it's still great to talk to them, but now we can, they could look at it beforehand, right? It's almost like instead of having to, to say something on the fly, now they're looking ahead of time and saying, oh, look, this is your medical report. You know, this is where, how you, this is right. your blood results. This is your this. Okay, now let's, I know what I'm going to talk about today on this call. I want to really talk about this and this. Yeah, and giving and helping your customer understand that as well. They may yeah. have some real questions coming in saying, well, you're telling me I'm not doing so well in this part of marketing automation. Tell me more about that. And, and you could see how they scored and you're like, well, that's because you're, you know, mm -hmm. you're missing this whole opportunity here, right? And so all of a sudden you're able to just kind of unpack value to them, but they're also so much more educated. Like they can't do anything in your discovery call other than to answer questions. So I would, I would say that conversation isn't that valuable for them until you start saying, you know, you get your questions and then, you know, unpacking mm -hmm. that. And I, I, I'm guessing you can't do a whole lot in 30, 40 minutes. No, we can just do the assessment. Yeah. I mean, and they can be amazed by the end of it, but to your point, you know, I, I, it definitely sounds like something I, I, we just didn't, it wasn't the right platform. Is there a, um, is there a sweet spot in terms of number of questions? Have you seen that across your, your clients? You know, I, I definitely think that there is a boundary. Um, you know, we have some, you know, I would, I would definitely not do like five. Like you just can't, you know, there's some that want to do like that's some really small hell, thing. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I call that a quiz and that's more for like, just get somebody to engage and you give them a white paper. This is that's not like, an assessment. That's like what Harry Potter figure am I? Right. What, right. That's right. Which Harry Potter house do I live in? That's yeah. one of my favorite examples. By the way, which one so, are you? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know? You don't know? No. What, you don't remember I'm what, not a big Harry Potter guy. I'm more of a I mean, like Star Wars. and. You can come join me at Gryffindor if you'd like. I'd be happy to. Yeah. I don't think you're a Slytherin guy. I mean, the sales part, maybe, but I think you're a good guy. So, okay. Right. So, too short, it, there's no value. Might as well be Cosmopolitan Magazine or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's a Cosmo quiz. So, I say like 10 to 20. You know, we have some that have 25 and, and some of our like top brands that are doing like management consulting, uh, strategy sort of advisory, they're doing it less in marketing and more in sales. And they're, you know, it could be 30 plus, right? But it's, it's a very high value coming from a very top brand and it's more sales led than marketing led. You can't ask someone to answer 30 questions on your website, um, but you can have a sales person, you know, as part of this big Make complex. that ask. Yeah, make that ask, yeah. and they're like, okay, I, I, I'd gladly get your perspective. On, what do you on, promise on people to get them to fill this thing out? So what they get is um, what we call is a personalized scorecard. Okay. And so the scorecard is really insight into their business in and around this topic. So we've been talking about like marketing automation. So you could have their, their marketing automation assessment, right? So you're going to score them on how well their, their people, their process, their technology is, yeah. is, is supporting marketing. And, you know, you may give them a, an overall score, like your overall marketing automation ability is, you know, a, a 26%, a hundred, you know, something typically out of a hundred, mm -hmm. right? So everyone loves to get scored out of a hundred. Cause that tells me instantly, you know, am I good? Am I bad? I just, <laughs> yeah, right. right. And then we usually will have some sort of analysis around that category. Right. So there may be five overall, you know, you know, like A, B, C, D, right. Like just think about like back to grade school, you get your A, B, C, U, D is a grade. Mm -hmm. Right. And what does it mean to be a D or a B or a C? And so there's usually some sort of overall statement that says, okay, you're a B and here's what it means, right? You're doing some things well in these particular areas, but not so well over here. There's a big opportunity, but just summarize the overall grade. And then you usually drill into subcategories, right? There's usually like people, process, technology. I'm just making these things up. There's subcategories of your assessment. And so wow. you may be doing better in people. You may be doing not so well in technology. And so then there may be, you know, we have a decision engine that will look at where you're doing well, not doing well, and then we'll serve up the right recommendations based on where your biggest opportunities are, i.e. maybe your biggest challenges. Like where do you want to be in the future compared to where you are today? We call that like a gap. So if you have a really big gap between your current state and your desired state, mm -hmm. well then how do you get 
further down that path. Well, here's right. a set of recommendations to help you in your biggest gap areas. And okay. so that to me is the culmination of the personalized scorecard because it's not just a number uh it's 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 numbers it's analysis it's recommendations it could even include benchmarks so you know you're you're above the industry average or below the industry average or something like that so again just helping you provide more color and context to that buyer and so that's why it's so valuable just asking them the 20 questions and then giving the personalized results instantly that they can say, oh, wow, I really know something more about my business today than I didn't, you know, 10 minutes ago. Right. Yeah, I like that. And I could see there's different levels and categories and all sorts of different things you can do to, uh, that could be a really wow-like wow experience for people to take that. Um, do you ever see that used in like a state of, like the state of this industry kind of report? Yes. So that's great content because usually the state of the industry reports, uh, again, this is what I would call thought leadership. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here's what the top companies are doing. You know, they're doing, you know, 80% of the companies are doing this or focused on this next year. Or, um, you know, there's just some sort of like survey that they'll do with 100, you know, 200, 500 companies. And they just break down percentages about, you know, 80% said content's more important this year than ever, right? And then 60% said, you know, marketing technology is really important. And you're like, okay, well, what's 80%, what's 60%? Sometimes they'll break it down into the leaders are doing this and the laggards are doing that. And so you're just reading it and you're like, well, am I a leader or am I a laggard, right? And, and that's how you're trying to consume the content. Now, why don't you just tell me if I'm a leader or a laggard? Right. So just repackage that oh, same content, repackage that content, the ask shade. Me 20 questions <laughs> and just tell me which one I am. Right. Interesting. Interesting. I love it. Right. Right to the end, your little zinger. Why don't you just tell me how I'm, I'm doing? <laughs> I could read your stupid report. By the way, no one reads that. I know Blue Wolf sends a state of Salesforce. It's like this inch thick, like they have them at Dreamforce sometimes. Or they're just passing them out and people are like, ooh, I should read that. I have yeah. one probably from four years ago that I was like, Ooh, I should probably read that. You know, it's just like, uh, it, it's too much. And to your point, that initial point you had at the very beginning, you're passing them the report and say, you figure out how, how anxious you are about what everyone else has answered. Right. You figure it out. Yeah. You figure it out. I could have a little assessment to be able to say, this is actually where you're at and here's some analysis and here's the different layers and some different other ways of thinking about it. And let's have a talk about it afterward. Yeah, and that's the qualification. Yeah, boom, that's it. You got boom. it. Yeah, so interactive content. I, you know, I want, what I want, want to ask you about now is um, interactive content. It, it, it seems like, and also the future. I want to ask you about the future, but I want to start by just saying, let's talk interactive content because um, it just seems like the days of the static thing. It's kind of like the day of like, do you have a website or don't you? Right. It's built on HTML and it just sits there. It's a brochure, like they call it. Nowadays, we have webinars and we have assessments and just things designed, podcasts, things designed to just, well, I guess podcasts, well, stuff. We need things that yeah. are interactive with us. Well, interactive, I, you know, I see a lot of like um, live shows now, like on LinkedIn, people are starting to host mm -hmm. live events, right, um, where you can call in, right, to the, the, you know, like the show we're doing that, you could do it live, right, yeah. and have a call in, right, like that is un, unheard of uh, a few years ago. But I do think interactive is just more interesting and more engaging. Um, you know, again, if you think about the different parts of the funnel, you're just really, I think interactive is just trying to get people to come out and just do something that's interesting, right? It's yeah. super high level at the top of the funnel. Um, you do need, you know, people at the top of the funnel to progress down through the funnel. Um, but there's, there's different design and different purposes around interactivity. Usually it's at the very top of the funnel just to get people to engage. It's, it's, you know, sometimes it can be fun and gimmicky. Other times it's, um, you know, just kind of a cool experience. So it's just yeah. more of a branding feel. Um, but it's maybe not, you know, the highest value thing that you're going to get from that, from that brand. Mm -hmm. Where do you, where do you see all this going in the future? Is there anything coming around the banning kind of opportunities or changes that you're excited about? 
Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's just more and more personalized experiences. We're going to, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much data in the consumer space. There's a lot less in the, in the, in the B2B space because people are buying on behalf of companies, not on behalf of individuals. So I think that is just going to continue to push further and further into the B2B space. Uh, again, that's why uh, we'll never get to the consumer space where like on Facebook, they're tracking every little thing that you do and they know everything that you like and how you yeah. vote and, you know, every little thing, which is scary at times, but yeah. the B2B is trying to get there. It's just always going to lag in my opinion, but that's the experience people are looking for. And you know, between the data, you know, this whole intent category, and which I don't have a ton of experience with, but I do know that it's still, you know, trying to read the tea leaves as to, oh, this firm, you know, five mm -hmm. people searched on this topic there okay, that's helpful, right? Because now I at least know I should call those people and, and maybe find the person that's doing those searches. Um, but it's just trying to add more and more value. And I think that push to marketing being more important, you know, sales is the heroes today in a lot of organizations. I think that's going to continue to move towards marketing where mm -hmm. that interaction still has to, you know, that handoff is really powerful, but yeah. more and more people are going to make buying decisions before talking to sales. So you're just gonna have to figure out how can you add more and more value. And I think personalization, which still is as a whole category struggles, um, but like things like assessments and other things are really gonna unlock people being more open to sharing about themselves. Yeah, especially if the result is you just get a, a, a way more tailored experience and we stop talking about things that I don't care about. You know, send me emails I really wanna see, um, yeah. Fantastic, man. Well, hey, who are you? The man behind the, the assessment curtain. <laughs> Take us back in time. Like little you days. What was sure. it like growing up? Do you always know you're going to run a company? And Well, not always. So I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, oh, okay. uh, which is uh, many people know as like Amish country. And, you know, I'm not Amish. Uh, didn't live on a farm, but certainly lived by many of them. Sure. And, um, you know, I would say lived a pretty normal suburb rural life of sports and school and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, my first job was at a car wash. I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. Um, there was one big car wash in town and pretty state of the art for most people think of car washes, but um, that was my first job. And, you know, I had to vacuum and wash windows just like everybody else, yeah. but um, they promoted me into a sales role. So like when the car would come onto the lot, I would be the guy that would take your order, right? So that you come in, you say, well, I want like the inside washed, the outside washed, um, you know, and I would yeah. be responsible for upselling you on, you know, the different packages. If you wanted tire armor <laughs> off or you needed a, a wax job. And yeah. so I think that really started my sales career. Um, just being able to interact with customers, communicate well, and then ask them for things. Um, were you any good at it? I was pretty good. I was selling a lot of different things and I was making commission, you know, Ooh. which is kind of crazy to think, you know, that working at a car wash, making a sales commission. But that's where I kind of really fell in love with business as a whole, as well as I just really like talking to customers, mm -hmm. uh, especially compared to vacuuming cars and washing windows. Vacuuming, drying, or any of that. <laughs> yeah, all like, of that. You get, to be the, you get to be the talker in the team. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, when it's 100 degrees outside, you get to stand in the air conditioning and everybody else is out there sweating, you know. Um, <laughs> you got the right job there. Yeah, that's right. Man. So, so it started there. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, I went on to, I went to JMU, uh, James Madison University in Virginia, oh, yeah. and which is in Harrisonburg. And um, that's where I fell in love with startups. And um, I was, I was a, more or less a, a, it was a program called Integrated Science and Technology, which is a, they don't have a formal engineering program. They didn't at the time, but this was a, 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 a program for a bunch of different sciences. And one of those was, was um, computer science. So I kind of was in the computer science track. I never stepped yeah. foot in the business building, uh, which is kind of funny looking back. Uh, sure. We'll get back to that on the, some, some upcoming stuff. But um, I had a project and I decided with my roommate, we were going to build an online tea time reservation system. That was our, our senior project and, and we had to do it our junior year. Um, and so we thought if we built this cool thing, it's, you know, it's web, it's software, it's cool. And maybe we can get a couple of free rounds at the local country club because they were our subject matter experts. Yes. Uh, for, for building the software. And so we started to say, you know what, there may be an opportunity to sell this 
to like country clubs. So this was before like teatimes.com and everything else. Sure. And so we tried, this was our first entrepreneurial uh, experience of me trying to start this tea time reservation software company. Uh, luckily, I didn't sell any of it because it was really bad software. Uh, <laughs> was it? But yeah, yes, it was really bad software. But it was it was ahead of its time. You know, think about selling online reservation mm-hmm. system software to country club members, which are probably sixty on that's average true. sixty years and above. So I learned a lot of lessons there. But that's where my my desire to start a company, run a company began. Got it, man. Yeah. And it, it, sometimes I feel like we learn more from the times that didn't necessarily work out than we do when they do. Cause when they work out, you're like, wow, I'm amazing. This is, this is magic. But then when they don't, you're like, okay, what did I, what do I need to change here? What do I need to do differently? Um, right. how, how did you get into what you're doing now? How did you assume the, so, the, the throne, the game of thrones? Yes. So, um, <laughs> I, I, my first job out of college was at Accenture, spent five years there doing management oh, okay. consulting. It was great experience. I just knew that I really wanted to get into startups. And so, so um, what was that like? Just to pause you real quick, you sure. want to be in startups and now you're in a gigantic consulting company. Yes, it wasn't easy. I knew, I, I mean, I love the people. I love the projects that I was working on. It just, you know, it's a big company and I wanted yeah. something, you know, entrepreneurial and you just don't go from a massive company into a startup, right? Especially because I had no business background other than me hustling, you know, this, mm-hmm. this, this software that I was trying to sell uh, years prior. So I ended up going to business school. I got my MBA at the University of Maryland and that was kind of my formal bridge from, big company consulting into, okay, I needed to learn about finance, marketing, sales, right. accounting, all these sorts of traditional business topics. Uh, and so I used that and, and then I you know, went into early stage software companies. Um, I interned as a VC when I was in, in grad school, which was a great experience, just seeing it from their side. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I really learned I wanted to be on the business side, not on the investment side at least at this part of my career. And so I've been in three venture funded software companies, uh, Nine Lenses being my third. Um, and each step along the way, I've taken on more exposure, more experience. Um, so I feel like I've done every job there is within a small company from payroll to reimbursements to marketing, sales. Um, and so when I, I've been at Nine Lenses now for almost seven years, I've been the CEO for coming up on three, uh, it was really natural for me to step into that role, even though I've never done it, but I've done each of the individual parts independently. So I really yeah. felt that, um, you know, leading is, is something I've, I've, I've done, but not to this degree. Like it's never, you know, the buck stops with me now. Again, that was yeah. a really new experience, sure. but doing all the individual pieces uh, from writing software to designing software, I did that at Accenture. So, I mean, I've really felt comfortable, but it's a whole different ballgame being in the seat. Jeez. Crazy, man. Tell me about, tell me about Nine Lenses or not. So, you, so you, you sort of talked us through and you're really generous with your, your expertise and advice early on. So, at, as, a, as a business, as a company, is this something that people can seek out and get um, – do an assessment and find out if they should do more assessments. Is that a good path? Yeah, or? so that's what we do now. So, I mean, it, you know, every startup finds their way and, yeah. you know, most die along the way. Um, you know, we've, we've had our own long road, but right now we've really found our spot with interactive assessments, selling into sales and marketing. Uh, we, I think we're kind of the, the voice uh, kind of the leader in the space. We're not very well known. I mean, we've only been doing this for the last, you know, two years, but as more and more people recognize they need to add more value to their prospects, enable their sales teams to have more meaningful discussions, it's a no brainer. They have the content, they just don't package it the right way. And so, um, yes, I mean, I think we would love to interact with folks, but, um, it's just understanding that these problems really do exist that sometimes they don't recognize that these are even solvable problems or even problems to begin with. Right. Um, if you were to look back, hypothetical for you, if you were to look back, uh, go in a time machine and talk to yourself um, right after James Madison, right after undergrad, talk to yourself then. If you could give yourself some advice, career, personal, anything, what kind of things would you tell yourself? 
Yeah, I think patience was the number one thing. Um, it takes a while to build a career, uh, to find your way. It's, it's, you know, when I was at Accenture, I, again, was really enjoying my time with the people and their lifelong friends. But I knew that my real passion was in early stage software companies, but I didn't know how to get there. So I kind of, you know, I just didn't jump for the sake of jumping to the next thing. Uh, You see a lot of career hoppers because they're not happy here, go find something there. And they're oftentimes just looking for, I don't know, satisfaction or, you know, warm fuzzies. And, and it just, it, it just doesn't happen. And, and so I stayed there, um, until I got more clarity on what the next step would be. And that's when I decided, you know, business school was the right next move. But, you know, there were years that I could have, like, I knew where the path was. I just didn't know where, where to go. So I just right. stayed, kept my head down, kept learning and just trying to figure it out. Um, and I think that has served me incredibly well because there's been in a lot of companies where you recognize, you know, the writings on the wall, meaning like, um, the second startup I was in, you know, it was going to be really hard for us to grow. We were selling into um, law enforcement, selling software into law enforcement, and that's wow. not a really investable market. Right. And so it was, it was one of those things where, okay, I'd been there three, four years, you know, year five, six, and seven, we're probably not going to be that much different. Just, mm. you know, incremental growth from a company, it, you know, I was running almost, I wasn't the CEO, but I was running a, a, a lot for the CEO. So there wasn't a whole lot more room to grow, prof, you know, professionally for me. Um, but I just waited and just to figure out what the right next step was, um, which was how I got the call from the CEO at Nine Lenses. Um, but I didn't just jump, you know, I was very yeah. methodical. That probably ties back to some of my faith that I have. But overall, it was not just jumping for the sake of jumping you know, it takes time to put success together. And I certainly don't feel like I'm, I'm quote unquote successful now. Um, you but don't? I don't No. So and that's, I think partly the you, CEO had. Is that There's true? Just, or are you still chasing more or is it just part of your drive? Uh, well, I think it's, you know, my wife, it, it, it kills her when I, you know, when people ask me like, well, how are things going at nine lenses? Like I see everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> True. Um, and so there's never a time where like, okay, we've arrived, right? We're, we're, you know, we're there. Like there's never right. a time where you're there. Like you've, you've, you like, you can take a, your foot off the gas. There's always things going on. There's always, um, you know, I, I was, I was part of a CEO group this past year and one of the, they had a guest speaker and he said, um, you know, I forget how many, they had like 400,000 customers or 10,000 customers. And he said like 10% are incredibly mad at us at any given time, yeah. you know, wow. you know, so it's just, there's just always something. And so yeah. I, I, um, you know, who knows if we, you know, have a great, you know, continue to grow the company and have a great exit. Maybe I'll feel like there's a notch to be made on the belt that I haven't achieved before, but it's just one of those things where I'm, it's not that I'm never satisfied. I just, I just don't see myself as like a, you know, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm great. I did all these things. Sure. Um, I'm on the same way. Right. But if you were to say, I mean, you're CEO of a software company. I mean, yes, there, there's, there's a lot to be said for that, but I, I see it as a tremendous amount of responsibility True. as well. And <laughs> Definitely so it's a not, it's a burden. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the, you know, in the seats, like you just, again, I was working for CEOs very closely in, in prior roles, but it's, there's nothing like being in the seat and you just can't feel that until you're, till you're there, till you're there. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing I, um, you can't just prepare, you know, it's like, becoming the president of the United States, there's nothing you can do to prepare for it um, until you're in it. You know, I mean, there's some experiences obviously that would lend themselves to, um, but. Yeah. It's not like you can read, I mean, you can read books on it, but it's like, is that really going to, yeah, right. it's tough. You know, I think a lot of people rag on, you know, entrepreneurs or CEOs and people like that. But, um, and there, there is the, the crazy ones that just stop being, you know, don't break the laws and don't be bad. Um, but a lot of most of most of them are just working hard and staying up all night worrying about making sure their team gets paid you know <laughs> yeah there's a lot yeah yeah I, I don't sleep nearly as well as i used to do and that's just because there's always something going on there's you know there's always goals to hit there's always you know 
new products launching. There's always, yeah. there's always something around the corner or kind of, um, you know, Elon, uh, not Elon Musk, um, um, the hard thing of hard things. Have you ever read that book? The hard, um, it's by the, um, I think so. Horowitz. Horowitz. Yeah, no, I, it's it, one of my favorite books actually. Yeah. I love, you know, it was very freeing when he said you know, that you just have to let some fires burn, right? So that you can't solve <laughs> all fires and just, you have to let some fires burn. And I think that was, you know, freeing to me to know that there's just some things that, you know, you can't address everything right now, right? It takes time. You got to mm -hmm. prioritize. And, um, you know, so those are some of the CEO lessons I've learned along the way. Yeah, the Ben Horowitz book, um, The Hard Thing yeah. About Hard Things, Building a Business When There Are No Easy Answers. It was one of the first books, one of the few books that just sort of told it how it was. It's like, yeah. So I had this, you know, argument with a partner or something. I think he talked about in there. And yeah, it didn't work out. Yeah, didn't didn't work out at all. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, it was, I think it was really helpful to read about things like that. So you go, oh, okay, noted. It's not like the movies, you know, it's not all right. going to be flowers and, and private jets calls. and all these things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think he said, you don't want to be CEO if you aren't willing or comfortable making a decision between bad and cataclysmic. Yeah. <laughs> or bad and yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Bad and horribly yeah. bad. Right. Yeah. 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 It's crazy, crazy, um, crazy field you've, uh, you've, you picked for yourself, but, um, I'm sure you, you can look back. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I knew I always wanted to be, to run a company. I always thought I'd be the founder. Um, right. but that hasn't, you know, I tried starting a couple companies after college, but again, they didn't really ever go anywhere, but great experience. But now, um, you know, I love the, I love being CEO. Uh, I love serving a team and I love talking to customers and helping them. Yeah. Um, you know, I really do see my job as the, I, I feel like I work for everybody else. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, you're just kind of serving in that capacity. Hey, man, get yourself acquired and go start, go start the next start one. The, that's right. Right. Working on that. <laughs> and call me up and we'll, we'll do some stuff. It'll be you fun. You got it. Um, well, cool, man. This has been fun. Hey, um, you got any adventures coming out? We're not really traveling these days. You pick up any hobbies while... Well, in the COVID no, times, not a lot of hobbies. We did pick up a dog, so our family oh, yeah? uh, got a puppy. What kind? So that's uh, a chocolate lab. Oh, uh, there you go. Um, so you don't have to Google that kind. Sometimes, no. like, I pull up the browser to be like, okay, what kind of weird, you know, like I've got a cockapoo, um, right? So, but no, I, chocolate lab, cool. Everyone knows what that looks like. That's great. Yeah. So we're adjusting to him. He's got a ton of energy. His name's Maverick. So the kids love him. Nice. Um, so we're, we're learning about him. Uh, we picked up, uh, I got young kids, uh, mm -hmm. 11, 10 and six. So our COVID game was four score. So we, we became a, uh, you know, back to the old schoolyard. We yep. would, uh, draw, you know, draw the four square on the driveway and, and, uh, it was a good family fun. So that's been our kind of COVID I hobbies. Think, I think four gets to serve, right? That's right. And then if you get knocked out, you go back to one. One. Yep. That's exactly right. And it's yeah. a great game for all of us. So it, it is a great a game. Do you allow the spinning and like the, you got all the. No, no. My oldest is always trying to add <laughs> a little bit of extra that like my six year old can't do. So I've had to rein in the rules a bit. Yeah. Seriously, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's um, Uno. We picked up Uno. That's a great game. It, you know, and um, the kids don't need to, be, need to be too old to sort of just get it either color or number and yeah we've had some we've had some games that either goes quick or it goes on forever Ever. and i've only i try not to do the whole like okay i'm dad and it's bedtime but like okay let's finish this game but love god people someone get out of cards here like this is going on forever uh how old are your kids seven and nine okay very similar yeah so yeah but we gotta we gotta do some four square before it gets too cold out you know yeah because you're up north you're uh, you're running out of daylight yeah, where where are you? We're in D, uh, in Virginia, just outside oh. of Washington D.C. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what what part? So you're in so Virginia? I, are you I'm in near Virginia. Alexandria? Well, everything's close by, or at least an hour away. But no, sure. I'm I'm um, northwest of that in Ashburn. Oh, okay. Ashburn, Virginia, near the Dulles Airport. Oh, also, okay. the home of the Washington football team. Is they is there like there. a Falkier County or something like that? Yes, that's very that's that's an adjacent county. I'm in Loudoun County. My aunt lives out out there somewhere. My crazy yeah, that's, aunt. Yeah, that's a little bit out there. Yeah. Uh, crazy, but I love her. Just in case she listens to my podcast. 
Uh, that's awesome, man. Small world. Next time I'm down the area, we'll have to absolutely beers. You know, ten years from now when we get out of quarantine here, but maybe next year that'd be great. That maybe would be great. fantastic. I'd welcome that. Well, hey, where are some of the places people can connect with you? So the um, you know I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you know Tom Hessen, you know look me up on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, certainly check us out at ninelenses.com, the number nine and then lenses.com. That's where you'll learn everything about assessments. And again, we're really open to just having a conversation, just helping people understand how this is a really valuable um, arrow into the quiver of sales and marketing. And so, um, you know, would obviously love to to have a conversation. You can come take our assessment. We actually have a marketing funnel assessment right on our website to help marketers go. understand how well their funnel is converting leads into customers. So just go to the marketing section at the top. You'll see the marketing funnel assessment. Take it. It's 15 questions. You get an instant score and some recommendations on how you can improve your, your marketing operation. Very cool. Does this tie into Pardot? Does it tie into marketing automation, Salesforce, stuff like yes, that? Yes, we integrate with marketing automation and uh, CRM. So it's nice. an ever-growing list, but right now we're integrated with HubSpot and Marketo, uh, working on the Pardot um, and um, Eloqua. And then we are integrated with Salesforce, which is a really nice application. So oh, sales yeah. reps can do everything around assessments directly within Salesforce. That's great. Now, if you're integrated with Salesforce, you're integrated with Pardot, essentially. It counts. I'll count it. Okay, fantastic. I give you, I give you the You're pass. the expert. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. I definitely want to check this out because um, we've done, we like to do like customer satisfaction surveys, but to get one out in front of the, of the funnel would be really cool to do. So we'll have to talk about that. Man, this has been fun. Thanks for coming on here. My pleasure, Casey. Thank you for having me. It's been great getting to know you. I think you're doing a great job uh, with the, the Hardcore Marketing Show. I told you before, Thanks. I love the name. Yeah. Um, you should get a branding A++ because oh, it's thank just you. great. Um, thank you. And so looking forward to continuing uh, talking and working together. Yeah, I totally appreciate it. I feel like sometimes I should yell though. You know, if it's like, hard, where's the hardcore? Casey's so chill. You know, <laughs> like people are like, why aren't you yelling at people? Like, I don't want to yell. You've been hardcore. You don't need to yell anymore. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, for the people listening, if you've learned something, and I know you have, because I've got two pages of notes over here, front and back, then uh, share this with someone. Be a thought leader. LinkedIn's a great place for that. Tag myself, tag Tom, and uh, we'll start a little conversation. And, and yeah, that's, that's how you get information around. Take the assessment. I'm going to take it too. Tell me what you score in that and see if you beat me. <laughs> and with that, man, Tom, thanks again, man. Let's stay in touch and let's, let's work together. This is good stuff. All right. Very good, Casey. Thanks again. Cheers, man. Everyone listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. 